Amen. Thank you so much for your giving. Thank you for, uh, for those that are tithing. Um, what you enable us to do on a, on a day in and day out basis, um, I, I, I just can't say thank you enough for, for your steps in obedience and generosity. Um, those giving to kingdom builders outside of their tithe. Um, you know, just seeing the joy of those that come in during the week to get the uh, the food pantry ready to those that are working with Habitat for Humanity, uh, those that are, are serving in lunches and things. Thank you so much for what you're able to provide to bless the people around us uh, outside of these four walls. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to uh, John chapter 13? John 13, we continue in our series called Remember the Table. Um, I just realized I spelled it remember to the table in my notes. That's odd. Um, but remember the table. I am very passionate about talking about um, the table, the, what I think is one of the greatest symbols in all of Christianity that we never talk about or very rarely recognize. And uh, we could talk about the Lord's table and we bring up communion. Um, and we'll ta- actually talk about that a little bit today. But the reality is the table can be seen from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Uh, we see the, the Lord essentially setting a table, which was a garden in the very beginning. And then we get to Revelation and we see the, the marriage supper of the lamb which I believe will be filled with Krispy Kreme and uh, uh, sweet waters and all sorts of wonderful uh, stuff that I shouldn't eat right now. Uh, so I'm like, I'll just save it for heaven sometimes. Um, but love, love that the table is just a central symbol showing the love, the mercy, the hospitality of Jesus Christ. And I would just challenge you as you're reading through the scriptures, uh, my wife is on a journey from Genesis all the way through Revelation. She's reading it through. I challenge you, if you're doing that Tessala reading, make a note of every time the word table is brought up. And I would really challenge you to look deeper than just seeing a piece of wood that people eat at, but See what is actually happening because that word is there for a reason. And so, uh, and there's a reason why this is our fourth series on the table of Jesus. It's so, so rich, it's so deep, but it challenges our life to do exactly what Jesus has shown us. So, um, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, When Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. During supper, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, shut up. If I do not, my little commentary, making sure you're listening. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said, Lord, don't wash just my feet, but also wash my hands and my head. Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew what was, who was going to betray him. 
That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put out his outer garments, he resumed his place and said, do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for, I, for so I am. But then if I'm the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're here. In your presence, asking that you would speak into our lives. This opening scene, Lord, of the Last Supper that we know in Christianity, this beautiful moment, God, this opening scene just is so simple and so rich. And I ask that you would help us to toss off some stuff in order to learn how to serve. We are yours and you are ours. Give us great revelation today and help us not to leave this place the same way that we walked in. Guide us, lead us, bless us, and go blue. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I got some Michigan State fans in the house and some Ohio State fans in the house, and uh, we'll save you later. All right. Um, I want to think that... that I've got a lot of regrets in parenting, tons of regrets in parenting, because uh, to me, if, um, if you are raising children, you have regrets after the fact, uh, things you think you should have done. And like one of the things that I regret doing was um, taking them and doing special things like going to parades. Um, we've had this thing for years that all of a sudden, we would read about, like when we lived in Midland, the Midland parade was yesterday. We're like, oh, maybe we should have gone to that. Um, hey, Kalamazoo had a parade yesterday. Maybe we should have gone to that. And like, how do we should have known that that was actually happening. Parades were always the thing we never, we just never really went to them. And they were, all, they seemed like they're fun. Um, we went to one two years ago, I think, or last year with my family out in Illinois visiting with my sister. And that was freezing cold, but still fun to be with the family and, and to see the, the, the floats and different things that were coming by. The best was um, watching the Star Wars group come by. And if you don't like Star Wars, you don't love Jesus. Um, Mandalorian, anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Okay, checking. Um, and you see Boba Fett, the bounty hunter, come by, and he had a Jar Jar Binks head hanging from him. I'm like, that's the man right there. I'm anti-Jar Jar. But... When I think through the parades, uh, there was something we just, ne- we just always missed out on. And I was talking with a, a pastor friend of mine, and he would go down and see the Detroit uh, Christmas parade or the Thanksgiving parade, one of the parades, ones I'd never been to. And so he was talking to me about it. He says, I had a different perspective this year. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, a friend of mine invited me to go watch the parade. Instead of standing in the cold and watching the parade go by, he says, you don't realize how much you miss until you see it from a different angle. He invited me into the Renaissance Center to stand in the windows and to see the entire parade as it's coming by. He says, it is such a different perspective because when you're down there, you're fighting looking over people. You're fighting you know, shoulder to shoulder with individuals that are pushing and prodding and trying to see what they can and you're trying to lift the kids up above everybody else. And many times you only see one view of the parade and you end up missing a whole lot, but when you get up above everything, it's amazing how much you can catch by just simply changing your perspective and your position. Thus the table. Because I think the table does just that. 
Because it's easy to have a perspective of somebody based upon maybe a bad encounter or hearsay or somebody's presence on social media or what somebody has said about this person or those kind of people. But when you get to a place and you sit at a table with somebody, it is insane how you're, you have this overarching perspective of their life that they may not be who you thought they were or it may confirm who you thought they were, but more specifically, you see them how God sees them. Because when you see the table and you identify those like just at the table of Jesus, you begin to see these misfit individuals sitting around the table and Jesus' love and compassion, this overview that looks and doesn't judge them based upon what they haven't become. How many of us have made judgment calls on somebody based upon they haven't reached what we thought they should reach? But Jesus loves them where they're at in order to lead them toward the place where they need to be. Carolyn Steele is an author of Hungry City. She writes these words. Few acts are more expressive of companionship than a shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. That's why I think one of the greatest, greatest travesties to marriage is, is couples that stop dating. And you've heard me say it before. I've had people say, well, we can't afford dates. I'm like, divorce lawyers cost more than dates. Go to Chick-fil-A, not on Sunday. Go to Chick-fil-A, get some, get some chicken, get some Polynesian sauce because it's the only sauce outside of the sriracha that you're supposed to get. Sorry, baby. <laughs> Marriage rift. We'll do a date tomorrow to Chick-fil-A. But go and share and break bread and begin to develop intimacy because the problem is, is we don't want to be friends with people obviously we will never sit with, but imagine if we got the people on the road of relationship by just simply sitting, by breaking bread, by pouring coffee, having tea, sitting across from one another. What if we scheduled to sit down with somebody not to try to change or to fix them, but just to simply get to know them? Meals, uh, the, the book Meals with Jesus, Tim Chester says this, uh, Jesus' mission strategy was a long meal. Jesus didn't make up little tracks to hand people. Can I tell you about me? <laughs> Can I tell you about hell? Or, or I remember what I, I remember. I went to a, a park and I had this, this desire to evangelize and so I was stopping runners People are running. I'm like, hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah, and they're like pulling up their earbuds. Sure. I'm like, if you were to stand before God right now and he would say, why would I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? And they're like, what? <laughs> but let me tell you how many people got saved. Can I tell you when I turned into a runner, what I don't like? People that stop me to ask me questions. <laughs> But can I tell you what has worked more than blindsiding somebody with a questionnaire or with a track? What has worked more to talk to people about the kingdom? It's not standing in a picket line, not throwing up a sandwich board sign. Honestly, it's taking them to a table. Having a conversation. I want to hear their story. And if they ask, they get to hear my heart. And I'm not saying that we've had conversions at every single table that I've ever sat with, but I would rather have somebody take one more step toward Jesus than put one more blockade in front of them. And that's the table. 
See, the table is all about establishing a biblical rhythm that brings abundant life. I mean, how many of us eat every day? Rest of you are liars. Y'all eat every day. We eat something. We consume something. So eating is already a, a rhythm, but I believe, and we see it in the life of Jesus, and we see it throughout all of, all of Scripture, the table was part of a biblical rhythm that brings abundant life. Because when you invite people to a table, you're inviting them to experience the goodness, the strength, the presence, and the mercy of God. And you may say, well, we don't really talk about spiritual things, but that's when we begin to categorize what's spiritual and what's not spiritual. Well, we get together and talk about Jesus. But some of you need to get together and not necessarily talk about Jesus. You need to get together and just laugh because you just need joy in your life. But can I tell you that in the presence of Jesus is the fullness of joy. Some of you need to get together just to create reconnection and to create communion together. And then it may not bring up the book of Revelation and Leviticus whatsoever, but when you've gone and you begin to share each other's stories and you begin to understand each other and you begin to serve one another, Jesus is in the midst of that too. This is abundant life. And the table brings us to a place to live out the abundant life. An abundant life is not a life that comes and sits in church on Sundays and that's all the engagement with Jesus or each other. Because the gospel was never meant to do that. The gospel was never meant to sedate us, but to activate us in abundant life around this world. I'm not here to sedate you and just to make you feel good about your life. My hope is this, is that as I'm yapping my yap here and I'm talking a little bit, my hope is that the spirit of God will intersect our life and will not make us just feel better, but would engage us in some sort of activity that says somebody this week needs to experience love, mercy, encouragement, and strength. Somebody needs to have peace spoken over them. Somebody needs to engage in the life of Jesus. Well, pastor, how do we engage them with the life of Jesus. It's you inviting Jesus in so that when you engage, they experience his life through yours. Well, I read my Bible and I pray every day. Let me say this. You can read your Bible and pray every day and not spend time with Jesus. You can get the information and you can give God your list of what you want him to do and you could still miss out on intimacy. But when we are supping with the Lord... Engaging in him at his table, Jesus begins to not just teach us, but he begins to show us. That's the Jesus of the gospel. Jesus did more than just teach with his lips. He showed us with his life the table. So today we're just going to reflect upon what I think is an amazing portion of scripture. Uh, John chapter 13, we have got Jesus accelerating toward his destiny. He is on the cusp of what we know as Passion Week. Uh, a few weeks ago, we walked the Via Della Rosa, walked the, 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 way, the way of pain where Jesus went from the place of the Last Supper to the place where he would be tried, the place where he would carry a crossbeam through the streets as people mocked and as people wept. This is the cusp and what leads into that. And so what we want to do is I just want to give you some places of remembrance and reflection today that perhaps the Spirit of God would do something in your life in the revelation of what the table truly does. If you're a note taker, write this down. Number one, first thing that you can reflect upon is seeing Jesus in his purest form. We see Jesus at his purest form. 
I don't know how some of you see Jesus. Some of you see Jesus as distant Jesus. Like he knows what I'm going through, but he's just at a distance. From a distance. I'm sorry, that's my terrible 80s song there. Um, It's all stuck in your head now. But we've got this distant Jesus. Or some of you have angry Jesus. No matter what you do right, Jesus is always mad at you about something. Some of you, some of you are shaking your head. Uh, maybe it's the church that you grew up with. Like, Jesus loves you, but he barely loves you. He loves you, he just doesn't like you. How about that one? I've heard that one before. I'm like, man, somebody's painting Jesus in a very terrible way. Some of you look at Jesus as hippie Jesus. He just kind of goes with the flow of whatever goes on in your life, and it's all good. It's just all fine. He won't confront you on your sin. He'll just give you a hug and say, it's all good. Or some of us have clueless Jesus in our head. Like, he is clueless of what's going on in my life. I am nobody. Somebody is a somebody. And therefore, Jesus is just clueless. But what I want you to see is Jesus in his purest form in this particular passage. It shows us him in his purest form. And what is his purest form? It is unadulterated love. How do we know that this is his purest form? Because I've said this for years. Is who you are at your greatest stress point when you are broken down Who you are at the greatest pressure of your life is really truly who you are. When you're going through the greatest pressure, you see your default, the essence of who you are. And what do we see here? Jesus is approaching the cross. Think about this. 18 hours from this moment, he would be on the cross. In a few hours' time, he would be betrayed by a friend. A few hours after, all of his friends would abandon him. A few hours after that, he would begin a trial six different times where he would be beaten and bruised beyond recognition. He would eventually be on the cross and be crucified. And if that wasn't enough, the weight of the sin and the world was on his shoulders. If that was enough, he would scream out feeling forsaken by God himself. I mean, there's so much pressure within him that a few hours after, he would be at the Garden of Gethsemane sweating and actually bleeding through his sweat glands because the immense amount of stress. And so we've got this great pressure that is on his shoulders. And in the midst of this pressure, look at verse 1. It says this, Jesus knew his hour had come, And it says, has come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. This is Jesus at his purest form. He is not clueless about them. He is not self-centered on his pain. He is not distant from everybody. And in fact, at the place where he is most desperate with what he is dealing with, his default is loving them to the end unadulterated, agape, unconditional love that is poured out for you and for me. What was in Jesus' mind, look at that. What was in his mind at his most excruciating time of his life was those around the table. The most excruciating moment of his life, his mind was on me and you. I mean, look at that type of love that he has for us. 
And there are some people in the room that you don't feel loved. You think God is clueless about you. You think that God is distant from you. But I want you to understand that even at his most excruciating time here on earth, he had humanity in mind out of what's the word? Love. Agape, loving us to the very end. You may feel like the most unlovable person in the world. You are never so feeling unlovable that you can ever be out of the reach of the love of God. Because Romans chapter 8 says that no matter what you're going through or what you're facing, it can never separate you from the love of God. You are loved. I don't care what you look like, smell like. I don't care what you dress like. I don't care about your background. You are loved. And that is Jesus in his purest form. Anger is not the purest form of Jesus. Hate is not the purest form of Jesus. Discrimination is not the purest form of Jesus. The American way is not the purest form of Jesus. The purest form of him is unadulterated, agape, unconditional love. That is who he is. Thank you, Jason. Secondly. We not just have Jesus in his purest form, but we have the gospel simplified. You want to know how to make the gospel simple? John chapter 13. John chapter 13 says, verse 4, he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water to a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is the simple gospel. Going to Israel, I took with me a new pair of shoes, which I don't think was a, they were comfortable, but can I tell you when I got back, they didn't look so new? Because Israel is a little dusty. The amount of walks that we did, trails that we walked upon, everywhere you go, there's just dirt everywhere. There's dust everywhere. And guess what is also around? Animals everywhere. If you don't believe me, ask Kendra Register to show you her pictures. And she, will, she took a picture of every cat that we came by, dogs, the camel she kissed, um, anything you could think of. So we've got animals, we've got dirt everywhere. And what we've got in this mode is Jesus got up from the meal and the same hands Colossians says he's the one that created, through him created the heavens and the earth. The same hands that flung stars into the sky, bent down, took the sandals off of the feet of these 12 and began to wash away the dirt and the dung from their feet and between their toes. Want a title for my message today? It's called Dirt and Dung. He got down and he touched what nobody else wanted to touch. And understand, in that culture, this is actually something you're supposed to do before the meal. People may have bathed before they came over someone's house to sit at a table, but they would take the lowest member of the group or the lowest member of the household, and that lowest member would then bow at the feet of each person, not in worship, but in complete service, and would begin to wash away the dirt and dung of every single person that was there. And when you begin to wrap your head around that, when you get your cranium wrapped about the lowest person of the group, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that birthed everything out of nothing, stripped off that which would identify him with any position, wrapped a towel, and began just to wash the feet of individuals sitting around that table. Individuals he knew who would abandon him. Individual who he knew would betray him. 
So many of us wait to serve somebody in order to know who they are because we're worried about what we get back. Jesus wasn't gonna get anything back. Jesus bends down and begins to wash. This is the simple gospel. And then the loud mouth of the group, I feel bad for Peter, I'll be honest, I'm gonna apologize to that dude when I get to heaven because Maybe it's just because he spoke up all the time or, is that, or the other writers just like pointing out Peter because he was fun to pick on. But Peter speaks up. He's like, no, 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 you can't wash me. He's basically saying, in this culture, I'm lower than you. You're my rabbi. I'm supposed to serve you. And, Peter, and he's like, Peter, shut up. Let me, I need to do this. I have to do this. And then Peter says, don't just wash my feet. Wash every part of me. And Jesus says in verse 8 that if you don't let me wash you, you have no share with me. What, in other words, he's saying this. What I'm about to do for you is more than enough. My washing of you will be more than enough. How many of us have tried to wash ourselves for the Lord? Trying to get cleaned up enough for him. Trying to do enough for him. Trying to take all the bad that we've done in our life and, and outweigh it with the good and we play this weird new age karma game. It's, it's, just, it's, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. What Jesus does for us is enough. It's not about doing enough good deeds so that we stand before him. Hopefully he'll like us when we stand in heaven. Listen, if Jesus has washed you, if Jesus has forgiven you, it is more than enough. Stop living from the place where you're trying to prove something to Jesus. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you've got it all washed away. Live from that place. Stop living for it. Live from the place. I wrote this down this week. Nothing more than Jesus is required. Nothing less than Jesus will do. When you take communion today, I want you to say that. Lord, what I hold on my hand, nothing more than you is required. Nothing less will do. I don't have to do more than what Jesus has done for my salvation. But I'm just telling you every single day, nothing less than what Jesus wants is going to do. This is in him we live and move and have our being. So I want you to understand that God has called us to serve, which leads me to lastly, number three. If you're taking notes, just simply number three. Jesus, we see him in John 13 in his purest form, complete love. We see the simple gospel, that it is nothing less than Jesus and nothing more than Jesus. And thirdly, we see the challenge to serve. Jesus serves and he begins to lay it out you just saw what I did. Now you know your purpose. I've had people say, oh, Pastor, I need to, I need, I'm trying to find out my calling right now. I've already got it figured out for you. Isn't this good? I already, I'm going to save you some time. Serve somebody. Now, there is a massive difference between needing to please people and trying to serve people. There's a massive difference. One, you're trying to find your identity. One, you live from the identity. Because when you know who you are in Jesus and you know who you are in him, you begin to act and you begin to operate in such a way where you don't have to please people, but you're there to please the heart of Jesus. Because when you serve others, God changes lives. And the first life he often changes is yours. When you bring the table to somebody by serving them, 
And I'm mad. You might not show up to someone's house with a big table and set it up in their yard or set it up in, in their living room or anything like that. But the table is both a reality and a metaphor. But if you found somebody that you could simply serve a need that's there, regardless of what that need looks like, you are literally bringing the table to them. And many times when you start serving people, you'll understand God will bring change. But many times he brings more change here than you'll ever realize. This is why my first step for any marriage ever getting healed is serve each other. Well, pastor, they don't want as much sex as I want. Okay, that's fine. What do they need? Serve that. Well, pastor, they want to talk a little bit more than I want to talk. I'm like, well, keep your mouth shut. Keep your ears open and simply serve. Pastor, I need to heal my relationship with my parents. Serve your parents. And when you begin to serve You're expecting so much change out here. And if you're serving to get a reaction, you're not really serving, you're manipulating. But when you serve to serve, everything that you thought God would change, really God begins to start here. And from here, God begins to burst something out here. Because when you serve others, God changes lives. And the first life he often changes is yours. Let me just say something. Some of you Bible scholars, some of you people that read your Bibles every day and you spend a lot of time in prayer, there are some things that will never be revealed to you until you step out and serve. Don't stick it with book knowledge. I want you to know the Bible. I want you to become biblically literate. I want you to study the scriptures. I want you to be in it every single day. That would be my heart. That's why we put a Bible study at the end of all of our sermon notes on version. I want you in the scriptures. But there are some things that just cannot be revealed until you step out and begin to live it. And there's some things about Jesus you will never fully grasp until you step out and start doing what he has showed us to do. And when you begin to serve and you begin to engage, it will begin to deepen your life. And that becomes the reputation of not just your life, but I believe that will be the reputation of the K-First community. God forbid that we would ever become the church that is only known for taking from people. And I pray that it would be the reputation of Jesus that would bleed from this church community that says, that's the church that gives. That's the church that serves. That if you need hospitality, they'll give you hospitality. If you need to be met in the hospital, they'll meet you there. You need help at the funeral, they'll be there. If you need help in your home, there'll be a hand that's reaching out. If you're hurting, somebody will pull you up. If you're limping, someone will get underneath you and help carry you along the way. Let us be the known as the church that lives like Jesus. Jesus said himself here, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. When you serve others, God changes lives. And it gives us revelation. It gives us to a place where our prayer begins to change and we go from the place where we start praying, God, this is what I want you to do for us. And we switch it to, God, how can I serve you today? There's a big difference. Some of us spend so much time in petition before God that our our prayers are getting tiring. Do you know why? Because most of them are so self-serving. But when we begin to pray, Lord, how can I serve you today? This is where God begins to open up your life as a table. Finding ways to serve that one ordinary person at work. Find a way to serve that spouse that just doesn't seem like they deserve to be served. We begin to 
serve parents and relatives that aren't the easiest to love because you know them so well and it's harder to love somebody when you know them that well. We're all there. Not what I can, can you do for me, it's Lord, how can you serve? How can I serve you? Because when you are plugged into your own agenda, you miss the heart of serving. When you're plugged in on how you wanna shine at K-First, you'll miss the heart of serving. If you're plugged into the heart of what you wanna get done in your workplace, you might miss the heart of serving. But instead of walking in with an agenda, what if we walked in with a heart that says, Lord, here I am. Me and you and you and me. And I wanna have communion with you so I can serve. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus gives us a simple table. And he says, what you've seen me do, I want you to go and do. <laughs> I almost brought up a basin of water. I was gonna start washing people's feet this morning. I thought that could freak a few people out. <laughs> but some of you need to do some foot washing this week. Some of you need to strip off the things that you think you are and the titles you're trying to protect. And you need to get down in the dirt and the dung. Imagine what would happen if we start stripping off the things that kept us far from other people. Imagine if we stripped off our political stance in order to serve somebody that thinks differently. Imagine if we stripped off our opinion on someone's lifestyle in order to serve them right where they're at. Imagine if we stripped off white privilege in order to serve somebody of color. Imagine if we stripped off our Americanness in order to reach out to somebody that wasn't raised here, that has come as a refugee. What if, what if, what if we just stripped off and simply got into the dirt and the dung of somebody's life? Well, pastor, what if some of the dirt and dung gets on me? I'm very glad that Jesus was never worried about what got on him because a few hours later, everything would be placed upon him and he would take it to the cross so that we wouldn't have to wear it anymore. Let me say this, people are not your projects to fix. They are your opportunities to love and serve. Stop trying to fix people. That's the spirit of God's job. But love and serve them. Love and serve them. And some of you think that's so passive. Now it's hippie, Dave. No. If you think love is passive, you've never been in the dirt and dung of somebody's life. You have never been in the dirt and the dung of what they're going through. You've never been out down in the nasty stuff of life to start hashing things out and talk things out and put your arms around them and hug people that don't seem huggable. But what if we stopped looking at people as projects and simply looked at them in the way that Jesus looks at them, opportunities to love and serve. Ushers, if you prepare yourselves, we're gonna serve communion. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Such an awesome scripture. But it's so misunderstood. And how do I know it's misunderstood? It's the comments I get after a service. Because when I do communion, I'll say things like, everybody's invited to the table so that they can partake and more specifically receive what's being communicated. And I get people like, I saw somebody taking communion and I don't think they ought to be taking communion. 
Pastor, my spouse took communion. I don't think he should be taking it. Can you talk to him? I'm like, you're setting me up for disaster. But the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, look, it says, let a person examine other people and then eat the bread and drink the cup. Let a person examine the person in the next seat. Let a person examine the person in the next section. Let a person examine the balcony people. <laughs> Sorry, I love you balcony people. I'm not picking on you. You're closer to Jesus right now. Let a person examine who? The essence of 1 Corinthians 11 was a table that was divided between the haves and have-nots. And Paul calls it all the question. He says, let's just stop and examine ourselves. Because before we can look around, in a message on serving one another and getting into the dirt and dung, some of us who hear her saying, well, if so-and-so does it first, let's examine ourselves. But if I see this, if I have the right worship song, if I have this, if I have that, if I've got the right atmosphere, we examine ourselves. We present ourselves to the Lord and we begin to have communion here. And I'm a firm believer that if we can learn to have communion here, because he comes down in our dirt and dung, we are more apt to do what verse 15 says, to go and to do that which he has challenged us to do by showing us with his life. I don't believe Jesus would ever ask you to do something he would be unwilling to do himself. He shows us, bow your heads with me, Jesus. We step into a time of communion. It's more than bread and juice. It's communion. It's intimacy. 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 See into me. Jesus, a place where you see into me. That's what intimacy is. Seeing into me and seeing us. And I pray this morning for just a spirit of just brokenness and repentance a place where we just get alone with you in order to get a glimpse of your presence, your grace, and your mercy so that we can do John 13, 15. Because if we see you coming to our dirt and dung, how can we go and not do the same? That we go into our Sunday and our Monday and our Tuesday willing to strip off the things that separate us to simply serve somebody in a very small and tangible way. So Lord Jesus, I pray that Jesus' prayer that we prayed last week over one and all. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. We are here. We speak that in your name.